Hello and welcome to the uh, first ever episode of Last Guys Off the Bench. My name is Josh Kane, and I am here with my co-host Darcy Fraley. And we're going to be talking NBA basketball. So we're here recording our podcast on Tuesday, February 6th. And without further ado, let's get it started with our first episode to discuss the NBA trade deadline. Alright, so there's obviously already been a ton of news out of the NBA before the trade deadline has even really gotten close. And one of those biggest pieces of news involves Blake Griffin and his exit from the Clippers and entrance with the Detroit Pistons. Darcy, tell us about the trade a little bit. Yeah, so the Clippers traded Blake Griffin, Bryce Johnson, and Willie Reed to the Pistons for Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban Marjanovic, a protected 2018 first-round pick, and a 2019 second-round pick. LA's first-round pick is acquired from Detroit, and it's protected 1-4 through four through 2020, and becomes unprotected in 2021. So basically, this pick is going to transfer to the Clippers this season, after Absolutely. this season. Yeah. The Pistons will not be in the top four of the draft. It's just not going to happen. Obviously, a ton of conversation around this trade. It was huge, huge piece of news the night that happened. Took the league by surprise. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about who won. Darcy and I have some different opinions about this. Darcy? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say anybody necessarily won, so I'm going to take that, take the middle ground here. But I actually think Detroit, I think both teams accomplished what they wanted to do, but I, I like what Detroit did there. And nobody's going to Detroit on their own fruition to play basketball um, with the Pistons. So getting somebody with a star uh, with a star power like Blake Griffin, getting butts in the seats in their new stadium, I think is really important to them. And Stan Van Gundy's just trying to keep his job, so he's out there grinding. It's really cool to see that Blake Griffin has uplifted these Detroit Pistons in these past couple games. they got a good thing going on right now. Uh, we'll see how Bryce Johnson and Willie Reed fit in. I can't imagine them playing too much. And it'll be interesting to see what the Clippers do with Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris moving forward. I can't imagine they're going to sign Avery Bradley in the offseason, which makes me think that the Clippers don't know exactly what direction they're going in. They're kind of playing the fence, and teams that play the fence don't always win. Well, see, I think, I think you're a little... I think a little differently there because I don't think the Clippers are playing the fence. I think they are trying to create flexibility. Blake Griffin is set to make $29 million this year, $31 million next season, $34 million in 2019-2020, $36 million in 2020-21, and a $39 million player option in 2021-2022 in that season. Blake Griffin has been in the league for a bunch of years already. He has had like 50 surgeries and... To have him locked up for that huge of a budget for that long of amount of time, it, it just it strips a team of any flexibility to do anything move forward. They're strapped, and I take the side of the Clippers here and just saying that they are flexible. Um, they might not have a direction, but they actually have an option to move one way or another. But I also can't disagree that Blake Griffin's a fun player. Detroit's been rejuvenated. It's a fun team right now over the past four or five games, so... And the back, see how it goes. The back end of that contract is going to be really rough. But $39 million! <laughs> it's going to be a big hit. But the Clippers, I, you still don't know. They do have flexibility, but who's going there? You know, they, uh, They're they going to always be fighting with the Lakers. They're always going to be fighting with the other 29 teams across the league. Yeah, I'm not sure what, what that does, what that flexibility actually does for them. So we're kind of stuck in limbo. Because I'm sure they're going to trade every Bradley. Spice Harris has, what, another year on his contract. I don't think they're going to play Boban much. <laughs> but combined, Tobias and Boban have twenty million, have a $21 million cap hit. And again, Avery Bradley is an expiring contract. So again, with the Clippers, it's a waiting game. With Detroit, it's kind of a waiting game, but we're just waiting to see what they have now produces. I would expect the Clippers to also really keep just 
clearing some cap space. I would expect them to like keep trying to clear house, making room for free agents, possibly getting some picks or some other assets in there as well. And it would really suck if you're a Clippers fan or a part of the Clippers organization if they go out after this blockbuster trade and waste their cap space on another dumb move. Really hoping that they don't do that, but we'll just see how it goes. Yeah, what do you think? Do uh, you think they're trading DeAndre? I, I think they want to trade DeAndre, but I don't know if there's a market for him. I don't know if there's a market for, for what they would get back with DeAndre. Clippers, if they're trying to open up cap space, they don't want to bring back a ton of bad contracts, bring some assets in. They don't want to get a first-round pick because they receive somebody like Damari Carroll um, when <laughs> Toronto traded him to the Nets in the offseason. They want to try to conserve their space, and I just don't know if they would be able to get anything worthwhile within that mentality by trading DeAndre. So you think they'll keep him? Because I, I don't think they're going to sign him. Um, they're just going to keep the flexibility and let him walk? I don't know. I, I don't want them... I don't know. Like it's a waiting game. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you know they're not taking back Tristan Thompson. You know they're, they're not, not taking back no, Jerry no, no, Smith. No, 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 no. None of that's going to happen. But they would definitely want Mahimbi from the Wizards. <laughs> they would want an um, uh, awful contract for a uh, horrendously awful contract. Yeah. Biombo. Uh, yeah, all the worst. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Clippers are fun right now. They're scrappy. They're fighting. So right now, the Clippers are 27-25. Uh, um, they're ninth place in the Western Conference, one game behind the New Orleans Pelicans, who are in eighth place. So I think a lot of what they end up doing with DeAndre, if they don't move him before the deadline, it's really going to be a waiting game to see how the season plays out. Again, they're fun, they're scrappy, and if they have success with Tobias Harris, Gallinari, we'll see. Do you think the Bucks? Do you think the Clippers would accept the trade? Actually, do you think the Bucks would accept the trade for Jordan and send out Jabari Parker and Brogdon? And whatever um, crunch actually need to happen to make that match. I don't think so. Again, I'm not an uh, NBA GM. That's not what I would do. Jabari just returned from an ACL injury, a second ACL injury this past Friday. And I don't know. I think I think the best way for the Bucks to move forward is by having Giannis on the floor, putting him at five, and just surrounding him with shooters and playmakers. So if you can have Giannis at five, Jabari at four, Chris Middleton at three, Malcolm Brogdon at two, and Eric Bledsoe at one, that's a that's a really scary lineup, and I think we saw a little bit of that on Friday when Jabari returned, but that's obviously a small test, and we don't really know how much they'll utilize that kind of mentality. But regardless, I uh, I don't see Clippers pursuing that with Milwaukee, probably because Milwaukee also just made a trade with mm-hmm. the Nets. Milwaukee received Cody Zeller, I believe, and Tyler Zeller, Tyler Zeller. Yeah. mix them up, <laughs> and they sent away the worst uh, Zeller. <laughs> they sent away Sean Vaughn. Mm-hmm. He's like a, just a shooter, nothing special. Didn't see much yeah. on the floor at Milwaukee, but I don't know. I think I think the Bucks are set with their personnel at the moment. They're in playoff contention. They're fourth or fifth in the East right now. I think they're just trying to make themselves better with where they are instead of really shuffling things around. Bari is an expiring contract, and I think it's interesting if they hold on to him. I hope they're prepared to. He's restricted, but I hope they're prepared to. Give him a nice contract. And that means keeping this core intact and not having too much flexibility. Because you have Giannis at $22 million, going up to $24 million next year. We have Eric Bledsoe at $15 million next year. Chris Middleton at $13 million. So it quickly keeps adding up. You have John Henson on a $10 million contract. Teletovic on a $10 million contract. Tony Snell on $10 million. So some of their caps really hitting the top here, especially if you give Jabari, let's say, a 
modest $15 million a year on a on an extension. So I'll be interested to see if they think about moving him for the sole fact of not knowing what he is and being stuck with a core that may not win at all and may not, may not be enough to even compete in the Eastern Conference. I would say um, with the management of the Bucks recently firing Jason Kidd, I would think that seemed like they were more sold on their current player personnel and less sold on who was coaching them. So I would assume firing Kid and trying to get some more consistency and better coaching in there for this team means that they are committed to this team. Back to the Clippers here. Again, the key question for them is whether they blow it up, try to create more cap space, or whether they try to keep some of these current pieces that they have to start somewhat of a rebuild while also staying relevant, while also staying competitive. Another trade piece of theirs is Avery Bradley. A ton of teams around the league want him. He's a wing defender. Not the best shot in the world, but he's a serviceable guy to keep around the perimeter and to have him chuck up some threes and drive towards the basket when he has open looks ahead of him. Aside from him, the next big piece is Lou Williams. Lou Williams is another guy who a ton of teams are going to want around this league. He's a shot creator. He's a scorer. He can create a ton of instant offense on his own. And there are a lot of contenders, a lot of people making a playoff push who could really, really utilize a player like that. I know, Darcy, like for Lou Williams, what could you get in a trade for Lou Williams? What would be an ideal trade for the Clippers if they were to give Lou Williams up? I definitely think if they're looking to move Lou Williams, which they are, they're looking for a first-round pick. And I'm sure they're looking for the same for Avery Bradley. Um, and they're definitely looking for the same for DeAndre Jordan, in addition to the cap flexibility he'd provide. I mean, I think a lot of teams would probably offer two seconds or potentially offer a first if they were also able to unload a contract, um, which I don't think the Clippers would want to take on. Uh, I could see Lou Williams being a really good fit with the Philadelphia 76ers going back there, the team that drafted him. Um, he's everything that that team needs. Um, I think that he, he could really make an impact there. And I could see the Sixers having the cap space to sign him moving forward. Um, I don't know if he would stay with the Clippers. Um, I think if the Clippers think that he would and they like him as a player, um, it would be really cool to see him actually get a, a longer-term deal. He needs a no-trade clause. He's been he's been on like ten teams. It feels like ten teams in the past. <laughs> I mean, that's be a nice spot for Lou Williams right now because he's finally like he's living it up. It's right now it's like he's the Clipper. Like the Clippers are Lou Williams. He's going on a crazy one, a crazy right. run ahead of this All Star break and didn't make the All Star game and was one of the top, yeah. um, at the top of many lists for All Star snubs. I can't um, believe that we're saying Lou Williams is the Clipper. Think about where we are a year <laughs> a year ago. Could you imagine saying that Lou Williams? Is the Clipper. I mean, I think it's Gallinari. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's totally, um, totally Coach's son. Yeah. It's, Austin um, Rivers, man. Totally Austin Rivers. It's his team. Everybody it's his world. It. We're just living in it. It is. It's like a Tide commercial. Everything's just a <laughs> Tide commercial. Everything's Tide. My clothes are clean. <laughs> tide. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Clippers, at this point, if they were able to tra- trade DeAndre Jordan, I think they should just keep going with it. I think they should get rid of, I definitely, unless you're going to pay Avery Bradley, I would get rid of him. Uh, but they do have his bird rights, so that can make a little difference for him if they do want to keep him. If you're not going to look into signing Lou Williams long-term and you're not willing to pay him, he's probably going to get... I mean, it's going to be a rough cap year, but I think he'd still probably get $12, 13000000 I'd say Avery is going to get higher than that. He's significantly younger. He's four years younger. Yeah, I, th- I think they kind of just got to... I would blow it up at this point, but who knows what Jerry West is telling Steve Ballmer to do. 
He's hey, basically running Microsoft. Jerry right West now. is the man right now. Jerry West is um, he's the logo. You can't fuck with him. So he's, I'm he's not keeping gonna... he's keeping the Clippers afloat. Yeah. Um, he's the one who orchestrated the genius sign trade with Chris Paul in the offseason. Clippers almost lost him for nothing, and instead they got a ton of True. assets back. I think that's Jerry West. A lot that's of people beautiful. think that's yeah. Jerry West. He also got this Blake contract ditched and gave them that flexibility like we already talked about. So I don't know. I trust Jerry West. We'll see where he takes him, but I've got faith in the logo. I believe. All right, let's uh let's move it on and start talking about some other things here. Let's talk about the Pelicans and the awful DeMarcus Cousins injury. Uh, what's your response to that? I mean, I don't know if there's really much of a response other than like that being just a horrendous, awful thing. Boogie Cousins ruptures Achilles Friday, the 26th, uh, about a week ago at this point. Uh, and there were seconds remaining in the game. It was after free throws were taken, and it was just a really fluky, non-contact injury in which his Achilles was just torn apart. It's really tough to see. It's got to be even tougher to see for Pelicans fans and for teammates of uh, DeMarcus Cousins. They've lost three of four since Boogie went down, but they have chicken some things up a little bit. They made a trade recently with the Chicago Bulls. The Pelicans brought in Nikola Mirotic. As a part of that, they guaranteed his $12.5 million team option for next season to give him some assurance because he had a no-trade clause over in Chicago, so we had to say yes to this trade. In part of that trade, Chicago received a 2018 protected first-round pick, Tony Allen and Jameer Nelson. Chicago has already said that Tony Allen is going to be cut by the team, but they will keep Jameer Nelson on board. And they also brought in the salary of Omar Ashik. Ashik is owed $10.5 million this season, $11.2 million next season. The Pelicans have been stuck with him for a while. And his inclusion in this deal is basically a salary dump. That's why you also see the Pelicans sending out a first-round pick. And the Pelicans signed him just for just because Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center. Yeah, it's literally the only reason they signed Omar Ashik. And they haven't played him since. <laughs> and now Davis is going to have to play center again. <laughs> Mirotic is a stretch for. He can't protect the paint. Davis just has to suck it up at this point if he wants to help grind this team into the playoffs. So the first round pick that the Bulls did receive from the Pelicans, it's top five protected this year. It is top eight protected in 2019, top ten protected in 2020. So they're getting it this year. Um, so yeah, the, it, the protections go on, but the Bulls are going to get this pick this year. Um, the Pelicans are hoping to make the playoffs, and that's going to take them out of the lottery. It's going to take them out of that top five protection that they created. So yeah. they're playing on this pick not being theirs. And they have DeMarcus Cousins, who is going to be unrestricted this year. But I, I honestly think the Pelicans don't have much of a choice here, and they're probably going to offer him the max. And I don't know if many teams that would. I'm sure somebody would. Well, uh, with this but, injury, though, I mean, his, his stock's yeah. going to be lower. It's going to be I mean, lower, but... You don't know what he's going to be. You don't know if he's going to be the same. It's, um, it's a scary contract to offer, and I think they're, they don't have much of a choice because they have to impress Anthony Davis over the next two years before he's a free agent, and mm-hmm. the Celtics end up trading for him. <laughs> but for now, they're going to be stuck with... Potentially DeMarcus Cousins at 75-80%, still a good player. I mean, he was one of the top two, top three big men in the league this year. So even if you do get 80% of that, that's still very good, especially yeah. next to Anthony Davis. And you got um, Drew Holiday at the point, but that's most of their salary cap between those three players. Thankfully, they were able to move on from Ashik, but now they got Miritich, who's stretch forward, will be a nice piece with them, especially off the bench. I mean, Miritich has been playing really well this season. He, he's been one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He's shooting... Like, well over 40% from three. I think it's like 43, 44%. He's been surprisingly good for the Bulls, but... He's reunited with Rajon Rondo. Yeah, back with Rondo. I don't know. We'll (laughs) see. I think Miritich is an ideal piece for the Pelicans to go after ahead of this trade deadline. I don't think it makes them anywhere close to recuperating from the Boogie Cousins injury, but they did one of the more ideal things that they could do. Uh, So we'll see if it clicks in. 
Yeah. Falcons, they've they've lost a lot of games recently. They are eighth in the Western Conference, but I believe they've lost three or four. Three or four. So it's gonna take some time, I guess, for them to mesh and for them to figure things out. And I still think they, they need a wing player, somebody who can actually put the ball in the hoop. I know they just signed DeAndre Liggins, who I love as a defensive player, from a 10-day contract to a guaranteed contract the rest of the year. Uh, somebody actually the Oklahoma City Thunder probably should have looked into. But I, I, I love that signing. But, man, they need a little more firepower on the, on the perimeter there. I think that's where they're really hurting. So speaking of the Oklahoma City Thunder, let's talk a little bit about the Andre Robeson injury and potentially the, how the Thunder are going to respond. So right now they're sitting fifth in the conference with 30 wins. So if you haven't, if you don't know this, Roberson ruptured his patellar tendon. The word ruptured always throws me off. Since the injury, the Thunder are kind of reeling a little bit. They've lost four straight. Uh, some of the people who they're looking to step up are potentially Jeremy Grant, Josh Heistis, Terrence Ferguson. Maybe they're looking into a few other people. Josh, you want to talk about some people they might be looking into? Yeah, well, those three names are the keys for for the Thunder. All those guys are somewhat similar to Ruberson, where they're a little bit pressed on the offensive end. They don't have all of the refined offensive skills that a lot of NBA players have, but they are great on the on the defensive side of the ball. That doesn't mean to say that they can replace Ruberson, because Ruberson was in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. He was having a hell of a season, and you're not going to be able to replace a player like that. The numbers for Terrence Ferguson and Josh Hustis and Jeremy Grant, all the analytics, all the advanced stats on the defensive side of the ball, all point to them being able to like match Andre Roberson's production, but they don't quite meet the eye test. During this four-game skid, when the Thunder lost to the to the Wizards, Hustis was closing out the game with Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony and Paul George and Stephen Adams, and it was a tight game, and they lost in part of Josh Hustis turning the ball over, um, committing some bad fouls all within the last two minutes of the game. It's those, those kind of eye test moments where you can kind of see that players like Eustace and Ferguson and Grant can't fully step up. We think they would bring in some, some help, some defensive help before this deadline ends. Avery Bradley, like most teams, is on their radar. I'm not sure who else fits. It's a shame because they were really rolling there. They were starting to figure it out. Carmelo Anthony was taking a backseat to Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Paul George was definitely stepping it up on the defensive end. They had Roberson next to him, and I mean, their wing defenders were just incredible. Well, the thing, the one biggest thing that would hold Roberson back from winning Defensive Player of the Year is because Paul George is probably ahead of him in the Defensive Player of the Year mm-hmm. race. I mean, that's Which a great problem to have. If they yeah. can shut down any starting lineup with Roberson and George on the wings. Yeah. Again, Tony Allen is another name that comes up for the Thunder. He's going to be released or bought out by the Bulls after being traded to them from the Pelicans. And he is a player known for just being a defender. He has good fundamentals. He has good intangibles. And he's great on the defensive side of the ball. That's how he's made his career. So sprinting in someone like him could benefit them. But they're pretty strapped with what they can do. They have $134 million in payroll this season, which means they're already $15 million over the luxury tax. It's a lot of money to be spending, and that really doesn't give them many options in terms of just brain and some extra help. Yeah, I agree. I think they're really strapped. Maybe Josh Heisters can step up. He plays a similar style to Andre Roberson. And he also can't shoot, um, <laughs> but he does play decent defense. Maybe with some extra minutes here, he'll... They'll step it up a little bit. And I know Jeremy Grant plays really well, but he's he, he's been playing a little bigger for them. We'll say that in addition to being strapped financially, the Thunder cannot trade their own first-round draft pick until 2024. <laughs> and in that year, if they would choose to trade a 2024 draft pick, it would have to be unprotected. Mm. So they have no assets. Um, they don't have many people to send out or many picks to send out or any picks to send out mm-hmm. to bring in another player. And yeah, um, it's got to be salary for salary. I doubt they'll be able to get 
Avery Bradley because of that. I doubt he's actually a feasible option on the radar as much as they're going to try for it. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers are going to be looking for some draft picks. And yeah. The Thunder just don't have them. Next up, the dumpster fire of the league and the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> Third in the East, but the dumpster fire. <laughs> Third in the East, but a dumpster <laughs> fire. Cleveland has been one of the most talked about teams this season, partly because they have the best player in the world, but also because the cast around that best player in the world is practically just literally on fire. The Cavs have been awful. They've been, without a doubt, the worst defensive team in the league. I believe their net rating on the year is officially negative, which means throughout this entire season, they have officially let up more points than they have scored. That's a big deal. That's a horrible place to be in, especially for a team with finals hopes and title hopes. The Cavs need to make some moves, and they need something everywhere. I think they could hope for a lot of help offensively, but the big thing for them is defense. It's all defense. They need to be able to test some shots and actually hold their opponents to less than 140 points. Darcy, what kind of moves can they make moving forward to get some of that help? Man, there's... There's a few options out there. I don't think any of them are ideal, especially knowing that LeBron James and Dan Gilbert are, have quite the rift going on and that LeBron James is on his way out. So Dan Gilbert is reluctant to give up a lot of his assets. But hypothetically, if they were on the same page, I think it'd be worth going after DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams or Avery Bradley and packaging that with whatever salary they could throw together with the net with the Nets pick. Um, I think it'd be worth throwing that Nets pick in there. If you thought that team could win a title, it's hard to get there. It's hard to win those championships. I mean, the, Cla- well, the Cavs over the three years have... I mean, I would say even if they did bring in DeAndre Jordan, even if they got Avery Bradley, they have so many problems. I just mm-hmm. don't see that being a fix to beat the Warriors. I feel like they've given the Warriors the largest fight that they can give. I think the Warriors are still going up while the Cavs are obviously kind of teetering downward at this point. And I, mean, I just don't know what moves they can make to actually make this team relevant in the playoffs. I definitely think any move is going to is gonna alleviate some pressure and is going to make them feel a little better and a little lighter, a la the Pistons getting Blake Griffin. Maybe not to that extent because the Pistons are just like thrilled to have somebody who has a name associated with them. But when the Cavs won it and when they played their best against the Warriors, it was with Tristan Thompson playing defensively, rebounding, and getting up and down. He's not somebody who can shoot. He just works his ass off. He got double-doubles every night. It's double-doubles. I know DeAndre Jordan can do that and is a much longer and potentially better defender, especially at this state of Tristan Thompson's current career. I hope he bounces back, but right now it looks ugly. So I, I do think I think that could matter. I don't think they're going to trade the Nets pick. for. I, don't, I just don't think they're going to give it up. So this is probably a mute point. But what if uh, the Clippers got so desperate that they were willing to take the Cavs' first-round pick and the Cavs were able to keep the Nets pick and you know the Clippers are just trying to get off the money? I'm not sure who the Cavs can send back. Maybe it's some combination of Channing Fry, who's expiring. Maybe J.R. Smith, if they're willing to take on that, and Iman Shumpert. Some combination of the three. Definitely Channing Fry, and together um, could make the salaries get close. Uh, you probably need to throw in another player or two. And I don't know. Maybe the Clippers are just that desperate to get off DeAndre if they're not going to keep him. Well, I mean, if you're looking at first-round picks that are available, I would doubt that any team that's actually going to be in the lottery is going to be willing to part with the first-round pick because a lot of those teams are genuinely rebuilding and genuinely need these young assets and these young guys to develop. So out of the teams with lottery picks, if you take the Celtics out of the equation, the Cavs are one of the few quote-unquote contenders that actually have one of those picks to give up. So they could provide the best pick for the Clippers, but they could provide the worst add-ons in a trade with that pick. And that could be the price for taking it. Um, and I, I don't, I wouldn't rule out the Cavs trading Isaiah Thomas. 
because I don't think they're going to want to keep him after this year, especially if LeBron leaves. Because I, I, I could see them using him as a, an expiring contract. A lot of their big role players and a lot of their trade assets, like Thompson, Christian Thompson, like Jared Smith, uh, they have huge contracts. Christian <laughs> Thompson's making... 16 million this year, 17 million the year after, 18 million 2019, 2020. J.R. Smith is a hair under those values, but he's at 13, 14, 15 million respectively. Pairing those contracts with the fact that both those players have just been trashed this season, they have not been performing, it's going to be so hard for them to make those moves. I do think there's a trade out there that people are talking about with the Orlando Magic, if they were willing to give up that Brooklyn pick for a young player who's under team control in Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon has improved taken another leap this year. He's really improved his three-point shot. He was already an excellent defender. We know he's super athletic. He could fit in there pretty seamlessly, I think, and make a really big difference. It might be worth the pick now, and it might be worth the pick in the future, knowing that what you get with the Brooklyn pick is somewhere between 6 and 10. You don't know where it's going to fall, even in a strong draft, and you might not get a player of Aaron Gordon's caliber. Another trade that's been floating out there are, are some talks with the Charlotte Hornets. Apparently, Charlotte Hornets are looking for a pick as well. They're looking to possibly break up what they have and mm-hmm. kind of start their rebuild. There have been reports that Kemba Walker and someone like Nicholas Batum, who is a solid player but won an awful contract, there have been talks of them both being available. And I've heard a couple of rumors of Cleveland sending away Tristan Thompson and Jarrett Smith and maybe some other contracts, some other expirings like we've already talked about, to bring in Kemba Walker and Nicholas Batum. I don't know how much that helps the team, but it definitely provides him with a shake-up. Ken Walker's been playing out of his mind this season. He's a bigger, healthier version of Isaiah Thomas, I would say, at this point mm-hmm. in time. Defensively, he's not fantastic, but he's a couple inches taller than Isaiah, so that gives him a huge leg up there. Yeah, and Kemba Walker, he plays with effort. I think it'd be really fun to see him and Nicholas Batum. I think Batum just needs a, a fresh start right now. He's on a terrible contract, but... He's been injured as well. Yeah. He's had a lot of problems. It could be a lot of fun seeing him, both of them, on the Cavs, especially if they can get rid of Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith just by offloading a pick. I'd be really surprised if Charlotte's that desperate for that pick, but you never know. Another person on the Cavs' radar is George Hill, who's currently with the Sacramento Kings. Sacramento had, they had three first-round picks this year. Um, Darren Fox... Justin Jackson, Harry Giles. The Kings have been very vocal in the fact that they are purely in rebuild mode. In the offseason, they brought in some players like George Hill, Vince Carter, and some other veterans to kind of help guide these younger pieces forward. But now they're at the point where they want to ditch these veteran salaries, ditch these veteran players so that they can just accumulate more, more youth. So George Hill is definitely a contract and a player they want to get off the books. George Hill's making $19 million this season. And that's a lot of money. And next season. So, the Kings are going to have a hard time moving him. Um, They're going to have a hard time getting uh, the value that they want from George Hill because they're going to have to devalue him so much because of his his contract. A team like the Cavs, who are already well into the luxury tax, and they're in the repeater tax as well. They're spending way more money than most teams in the league. I don't think it's very reasonable to expect them to take on another $19 million salary, especially if you take into account that LeBron might be leaving next year. George Hill is still in the books next year for $19 million. What does that leave you? You're basically replacing LeBron's contract with George Hill's contract, and you still have no space. You still have no room to make any trades, make any deals, sign any players. Uh, that's a struggle. But again, that depends on the Cavs' mindset. Do they want to win now? Do they want to build for the future? That's something they need to decide internally. And does George Hill help them win now anyways? But I do think George Hill is better than he's played this year. Although he is shooting 45% from three. Last year he averaged 17 points with 
the Utah Jazz. I think there's some potential there, but yeah, I, d- I don't see why. I do think that's the trade that the Cavs have out there right now that they're willing to make. They're just kind of seeing what else is out there. And uh, it'll be a shame if that's the trade they make after all this and they have a $20 million cap hit because they made that trade and they lose LeBron. I'm sure they'll still keep the Nets pick. Um, it'll probably be a couple expirings, Channing Fry and another person, and maybe a second-round pick or two second-round picks. But I hope they don't give up a first-round pick for George Hill. I highly doubt that the Kings are going to get anything close to a first-round pick for George Hill. I think um, they're just trying to get off his contract. Well, we were just watching the first quarter of the Cavaliers and the Magic. Cavaliers had a great quarter offensively. They put up, like, over 40 points in the first. So did Maurice Spade. Uh, <laughs> so did Maurice Spade, man. 10 points in the first quarter. See, the Cavs put up over 40 in the first, <laughs> but they still gave up nearly 40 points as well. So they exploded yeah, offensively, but they could not capitalize at all with that explosion, with that success on the offensive end. And that epitomizes their team. That team is just, like, reeling, and they are a mess. I don't know what that... The tension is between Dan Gilbert and LeBron James, and uh, maybe Dan Gilbert's like, you know what, fuck it, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to stand pat. I hope they don't do that, because they need to do something. Moving on to our next team, Boston Celtics, who are assumingly looking to be pretty active as the trade deadline is about two days away now. Celtics have been one of the most fun teams to watch this season. They've had a lot of success. Um, They have a lot of great personnel, a lot of great young talent, cemented perennial all-stars, and despite all of that, they're still looking to make some moves. They're still looking to make some pushes forward. They still have the flexibility and ability to do that as well. Greg Monroe recently uh, was bought out from the Phoenix Suns, and he was picked up by the Boston Celtics on a $5 million contract that Boston was able to bring on without actually incurring any cap penalties because of the $8.4 million disabled player exemption that received after Gordon Hayward's injury in the first game of the year. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be something to see Gordon Hayward also back on the court after they used that disabled player exception? Uh, I, hope, I hope he makes it for the playoffs. I think he'd be a great addition. But, I mean, this team is stacked if you look at just their assets and their players and their contracts. I mean, this team can go in so many directions. You know they're holding out for the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. <laughs> but if they're willing to make a move this year which it sounds like they're willing to move Marcus Smart because they don't want to pay him. I, I think they're willing to pay him something, like X amount, but Marcus Smart turned down that extension at the, in the fall. Mm-hmm. They know what they're willing to offer him. I don't think they want to go above that. That's like baseline. That's just what it is. Good for Marcus Smart. Maybe he'll get it out there. It's going to be a rough market. But I think I mean they could go so many different ways. And this is the year. I mean, this is the Cavs are reeling. The East is wide open. You know, It's never been more vulnerable for the Celtics right now. Um, and they're rolling. Besides for the lack of facilitation when Kyrie Irving's out, no offense to Al Horford, who's playing fantastic. I mean, they're on a roll. And I think if they make one or two moves here, and they you know, they add a Lou Williams, they add a Tyreek Evans, they add, shit, bring back Avery Bradley. I just think anything like that is going to really significantly help their chances. They have the lane to go to the finals here and really put it to the Warriors. They have a good team to match up with the Warriors. I mean, they're the favorite right now in the East. Yeah. They're the favorite to make it to the finals. And again, Tyreek Evans, like you just said, Lou Williams, any any like shot-creating score who can kind of help facilitate the Celtics bench and help the score when they have their second string on the floor, those are the players they need to target. You know, I think it would be actually really fun, and uh, we haven't mentioned him yet, buyout candidate Joe Johnson could be really fun on this team. You know, ISO Joe bringing it back. He's somebody who can get his shot. He can score. He can facilitate. It'd be a lot of fun to see him on this team, the team that drafted him. So it'd be cool to see him back here. What if the Celtics just revert all their second unit play to ISO ball? Yeah, ISO Joe. ISO Joe. ISO Joe unit. They've got Vince Greg, Carter, maybe. They've got, right, man, you know? they've got Greg Monroe, who really helped propel Milwaukee's second strain in last year's playoffs. 
by playing ISO in the post. Mm-hmm. At any time that Milwaukee didn't have their stars on the floor, Greg Monroe was just mm-hmm. eating it up in the post, racking the points and scoring. Yeah. He's obviously going to hopefully do the same thing for Boston. But yeah, maybe they'll add in another another player in ISO Joe as well. And I, I can't wait to see Greg Monroe out there with Al Horford running the point. Because Al Horford, uh, when I was watching him play the Trailblazers a couple of days ago, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It looks like it hurts. It looks He looks like me out there. But trying to run around. But he's but doing he's, it so well. He's, he's so well, in quotes. But he's playing really well, actually. Um, he's an all-star this year. He made the all-star is. game. So, you know, uh, he's definitely the last picked. But I think he'd be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see him with Greg Monroe because they both can pass. They both can move pretty well offensively. I think Al can help Greg on defense. Um, I'm really interested to see how they match up You know, when, when they're actually on the court together. And the key thing for Boston moving forward, especially after signing Greg Monroe, Again, they were able to use that uh, disabled player exemption. Having that exemption allowed them to sign Monroe without giving up any of their other assets. So whereas the rest of the league is still looking to kind of make those first moves and add those players while divvying up the assets that they have on their team, Boston is already one step ahead without having to get rid of anything that they, they hold to be valuable. So again, it's going to be interesting. They could be one of the most active teams as we head into the trade deadline, or they could be one of the least active as well. They may not make another move. They don't need to make moves, but it definitely would be ideal to bolster a little bit of their roster. Yeah, I, I think this is the year. This is the time for them and Toronto to push the chips in. Like, let's let's go all in here and take a chance. I don't think you need to get too crazy. Like I said, I think Boston's holding out for Anthony Davis, but this is the time to you know push something in there and see what happens and. You, I think you have a trip to the finals like in the bag if you just keep it up right now. Well, but believe it or not, Boston, they're, they're looking for assets, though. They're looking for draft picks yeah. still. They said that Marcus Smart was available to trade, <laughs> and the thing that they coveted with the Marcus Smart deal is that they wanted to bring in a first-round pick in return. So they can trade it to Anthony, to the Pelicans for Anthony Davis next year. Well, what I've heard, <laughs> what, 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 what's going around uh, from Woj, and ESPN, all these other guys, Shams in the vertical, is that they want that first-round pick in the Smart deal so that they can then flip that pick for Tyreek Evans. Not Anthony Davis. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, getting ahead of but, myself here. But yeah, so we'll see. Again, it's just like all these teams, it's a waiting game. Speaking of Tyreek Evans, though, where do you think he's going to end up? I mean, because they're asking for a first-round pick. I don't think they're going to get it. I think they're going to get two seconds. But, you know, there's a lot of teams floating out there. Where do you think he's going to land? I mean, I think... Uh, shit, I don't know. Um, I'd love to see him on the Celtics. I'd love to see him on the Sixers. And those are my, two of my favorite teams to watch at the moment. So I'd prefer to see him there rather than on another team that doesn't necessarily need him or won't be able to utilize him. So we'll see. I think the Celtics and the Sixers are two of the teams that actually have the assets to be able to trade for him. And it just so happens that they actually have that need as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with one of those two teams in the East. Yeah, I think the Sixers are going to end up with Tyreek Evans or Lou Williams, somebody of that of that mold. Or maybe even Joe Johnson or, or Vince Carter if they're bought out. Because I think Tyreek, both Tyreek and Lou, I could see them also moving forward, potentially paying at an appropriate rate as long as they're not asking for too much or the market's not dictating that they get paid so much. I could see them actually adding them to their payroll. Hopefully they keep J.J. Redick along too, but I could see them also dropping him for that. Well, actually, I know you mentioned the Raptors earlier as one of the few teams who can right now actually compete with the Celtics. The Drakes. Uh, the Drakes. There we go. <laughs> the Raptors, again, they're having a great season. They're second in the Eastern Conference. They have 36 wins, 16 losses. They've won seven of their past 10 games. They're a contender looking to make a push out of the Eastern Conference for the first time in a, in a long time. Have they ever made it out of the East? No, 
Never made it out of the East. They had a couple good years with Vince Carter when he was younger. I still think if Tracy McGrady had stayed before he went to the Magic when he was with Vince Carter, that team could have made a run. But unfortunately, he did not. They never made it out of the East. And here we are today talking about them, you know, still choking in the second round. <laughs> but I mean, this team is fantastic. And I love that, you know, every every year for the past three or four years, we've been saying they need to blow it up. They need to blow it up. They need to blow it up. They're not going to make it. There's no way. You know, these, they, How are they going to stick with DeRozan? How are they going to stick with Lowry? Now they have Ibaka. Like, how are they going to compete do? with LeBron? How yeah. are they going to compete with all the other teams? And here we are. And they have an excellent opportunity right now. And they have so many of their own people that they've developed. It's a testament to their own their own infrastructure to be able to develop all these people. But yeah, I mean, they, they've committed to Lowry, DeRozan, and Ibaka. And they're moving forward. And if they make one or two additions, they could really make a run and I think give a Celt- give the Celtics a scare. That'd be a fun. That'd be a fun series. It'd be a lot of fun. They're playing tonight, so maybe we can talk about the game next week. Maybe we can talk about a little preview for the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, you know, um, I think it'd be interesting to see if they move. I, we haven't heard any of this, but maybe Valanciunas. And I'm not sure to where. The thing with Valanciunas is that I don't think he he's not he's not he's the best. Twenty five. He's, oh, he's he's young. So young. He's so young. And yeah, he's not he's not the best player like at his position. Um, he's not the best big man in the league. He plays his position, but now. he plays his position well. Yeah. And I doubt that the Raptors would be able to get anything close to his value in return. Yeah. I think he's more valuable to the Raptors than he would be to any other team. That's true. Big thing with the Raptors is that a lot of their rotational players, a lot of their role players, are all people that they drafted. They have like four or five first round picks, four or five former first round picks, I should say. Who play regularly every night? OG Ananobi, uh, Delon Wright, Jakob Podol, Pertl, not sure how you say his name. Always butcher that one. Gus Nagira. Um, all these guys don't always put up the best stats, but they provide Toronto with some pop in the roles that they fill. And they're just really in a unique position. They're in a unique position with how they built their team, but because of how they built their team, they might not be in much position to actually make moves before this deadline. Uh, what about them going after Lou Williams? I mean, he's played there before. 2014-15 with DeRozan and with Lowry. He was on. I think he was almost six man of the year that year. Uh, he played really well there. Are there. Would the Raptors be willing to give up an asset and then also keep him and roll with him? Because he was playing really well with that team. That, was, that team, I think they won 60 games that year. I mean, it was a excellent... I think they probably bottomed out and lost to like the Nets or something. Like, man, <laughs> Paul Pierce and Kevin Garant. Or uh, Kevin Garnett. But what do you think about him potentially going to the Raptors and what he could do and bring to that team? I mean, I think he'd be a great fit. Again, I think Lou Williams would be a great fit on any team that he that he would. Yeah, so far we have Lou Williams going to like six different teams. So well, good, but that's the thing. Yeah, Everyone up. wants him. He's he's yeah. he's one of the he's one of the top commodities on the trade market. Yeah. So all these teams want to get him, and it's really hard to isolate who actually will. But I don't know the Raptors. So they have the flexibility to bring in a player like like Lou Williams without having to match contracts. They have a ton of trade exemptions they can use. They made a trade with Indiana in the offseason to send Corey Joseph there, and they received a $7.6 million trade exception in that deal. They also received a different $11.8 million trade exception when they sent DeMar Carroll to the Brooklyn Nets in the offseason. That provides Toronto with a great opportunity to not have to worry about as many cap issues if they would bring on a player like Lou Williams. Lou Williams' contract, he's making $7 million this year. Yeah. $7 million. So... Toronto could easily bring him in exception. and use those trade exceptions on a player like Lou Williams. It's just a matter of if they're willing to just basically ditch a first-round pick. You know, um, I could see them being that team. I mean, I, I don't think there's many teams that are willing to give up that first-round pick and they covet it. But, you know, Lou Williams, there's a theme with him. He gets a first-round pick the past two years. Let's make it three in a row. And I think this is a team that that pick would be high enough. Granted, they are developing their picks really well. But it might be worth taking a shot and absorbing that 
that money be a trade exception and figuring it out in the offseason, trying to make a push. We already know he fits, so he doesn't. you don't have to worry about how that kind of works. All right, let's talk about the team that everybody wants to hear about. <laughs> that you want to hear Philadelphia about. Philadelphia 76ers, home of the Super Bowl champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. Shout out to the Eagles. Shout out to the Eagles. Good for them. Shout out to the city of Philadelphia, which is still standing. Yeah, so they're eighth in the Eastern Conference with 25 wins, 25 losses. Probably right about right around where we would think they would be. Not necessarily eighth, but they're about 500. I might expect them to win 42. Anywhere between 40 and 45 wins is kind of where we pegged them at the beginning of the year. They need somebody who can create a shot and score. I mean, they're definitely hurt by J.J. Reddick's injury or whenever he gets injured on the perimeter. Besides for Jared Bayless's veteran presence, Maybe they can replace that with somebody else because he's not doing much when he gets out there and he's not creating, he's not scoring like he was. And he has like a five nine million ago. dollar cap hit. <laughs> it's um, a great, great cap hit. And um, yeah, so Jerry Bayless, who basically washed out five years ago, is making nine million dollars this year, which is basically <laughs> the pit of the man. NBA. Get that money. But yeah, I, I mean, we've mentioned all these names before with the Sixers. We got Tyreek Evans, Lou Williams, Joe Johnson. Uh, I like the move for Lou Williams or Tyreek Evans because I think it could be long or a longer-term solution if they're willing to give him a three-year contract. But if they're not willing to move in that direction, Joe Johnson could be an excellent choice. If they're It'd be able a, to get a lot him. cheaper. be a lot cheaper. Probably be a one-year thing, but he could mentor a lot of those young players, nice probably push them into the playoffs, and, and could really make a difference. He'd be a lot of fun to see next to Ben Simmons. I mean, anybody next to TJ McConnell, you know. <laughs> TJ! Just makes TJ better, so it's, I love seeing him. So I think any of those players would be a really great addition to this team. Not that they're going to win anything significant, but getting into the playoffs after missing it for the past four years, after bottoming out four years ago after that Drew Holiday trade, it'll be cool to see. And be a great learning experience for, for these younger guys as well. I mean, just to get in. like Joel Embiid, he has a huge personality, but that doesn't mean he has the experience to go along with it. Yeah. Ben Simmons, obviously, he never won anything at LSU. Mm-hmm. He sat out last year. A lot of these guys still need to learn how to make those pushes, how to grind out those last-minute games. Honestly, Phillies, the Phillies lost a lot of tight games this season. They haven't been able to pull out a lot of close ones, and a presence like Joe Johnson would definitely, I guess ideally, hopefully, help solidify some of those problems up. The big thing for the Sixers going forward is just what, what kind of like ideology they want to follow. Do they want to keep keep up with the, with the Sam Hinkie uh, draft pick accumulation, or do they want to move past that? move into a more of a contender role and start ditching some of these draft assets, draft picks, so that they can bring in some actual players. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see them start doing that and actually cash in some of those assets. And I don't want to see them do anything stupid. I, I would like to see them follow that blueprint that the Celtics have laid out in competing while gathering assets and uh, going that way. Because I think they have a great young core that's only going to get better and going to develop. And as much as we want to make fun of faults, um, and it's scary to see... Uh, how terrible his shot looks. You have to think he's going to put it together. He was the surefire prospect. It's looking a little scary. Well, and the crazy thing, though, is that <laughs> all the all the trade targets that we've talked about for Philadelphia fit the role that Fultz would fill if yep. he could shoot a basketball right now. Yeah, I mean, because um, he can do everything else. You can see he, he can stay in front of a, an offensive player. He is definitely somebody who can create shots. He drives really well. He finishes at the rim. I mean, he and he was supposed to be that yang to Ben Simmons yang. You know, and have Joel and B down there. I mean, that team, and hopefully he puts it together. I think he will. Uh, I think the the Markel Fultz worry is obviously warranted, but also a little bit overblown. Absolutely. I doubt that a guy who basically perfected his shot over the first 18, 19 years of his life is 
just somehow going to revert away from all of that and ditch all that experience. So fingers crossed for Marco Fultz. Fingers yeah. crossed for the Philadelphia 76ers. I hope they make some moves here and can make a push, um, not only for this season, but the future too. It'd be fun to see them in the playoffs, for sure. Philadelphia would not would not be able to handle it. I think the last time they were in the playoffs, they actually played the Celtics when they had Kevin Garnett, mm-hmm. Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. It was like their last run. They lost in seven games. All right, uh, let's let's talk a little Wizards, uh, our hometown DC team here. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference, which is impressive actually for how much they uh, get talked about and talked down. But their starting five is still excellent. All right, let's move on to the Washington Wizards. Um, they're fourth in the Eastern Conference with 31 wins. Um, they still have an excellent starting five when they're out there with Gortat, Beal, Wall, Morris, and Otto Porter. But they still have they made some terrible contract decisions. And we could start with John Wall's contract that looks a lot like Blake Griffin's, but he's a lot healthier, although he has had a couple surgeries. A lot younger. Um, lot, a little younger. Um, <laughs> I think he's a lot better. Uh, do you? I do. No, I don't think that. I'm a John Wall believer, man. No, I don't think that. I think I, I do think he stays healthier and he plays more games. Um, but Blake Griffin, I think, makes more of an impact. I think John Wall, you have to kind of build around a little more. But Blake Griffin, I mean, he he's the point center, man. He's I mean, the future. But would you rather build around a perennial all-star, or would you rather... <laughs> run with one all-star who can do cool things and not lead you to anywhere in the playoffs. Uh, if Blake Griffin, if they could play the same amount of games, you can guarantee me that, I would take Blake Griffin. All right. It's a, we'll see how it plays out. Step, but yeah. They have some similar contracts <laughs> down the road. Um, yeah. They've got some similar situations in which they're both, I guess, yeah. trying to lead some teams into some territory that they haven't been before. But so I think the contracts that really hurt them right now are, I really think the Mahimi one is just, fucking terrible i mean that's one of the worst contracts out there in terms of what why i don't know why they did it you know looking back it's just like what was what was the point what were they thinking um, uh, the well the mimi signing was one of those things where they had no other options at the time he was a healthy younger younger player and they needed some beef underneath the basket in the paint uh, they needed some like offensive presence in the paint, and that's what uh, Jan Mahimi provides. So they signed him to a like $15, 16000000 million a year deal mm-hmm. around the time when they had no other options if they didn't sign him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and the other one that a lot of people talk about is the Cortat deal, which looked bad when he signed it. They looks worse could, now. Yeah, it definitely looks worse now. They thought they could get a little more out of him over the, probably this year and then after this year it was going to look bad, which has one more year. So the good thing is next year he's an expiring contract. He still runs that pick and roll really well with John Wall, but that's shit, all he, he can do, do anything man. else. He is looking rough out there. He set some pretty screens. It's paying $13 million a year. Nice screens. Um, yeah, so I think... I, I think they need to make a move for a center. If they can get off that Gortat or Mahimi money, which would be really hard, that could be a big help. I think they're in the running for a potential Brook Lopez buyout. If he's got divided up by the Lakers, I could see him joining up with the Wizards. DeAndre um, Jordan? Uh, I, I, DeAndre Jordan would be perfect for that team. I think it'd be a lot of fun if, if, they, wanted, if they felt like they could sign him and win with him. Because I don't think you trade for DeAndre Jordan and let him walk. You know, you're not. I don't think that's what you do. Yeah. But are they ready to compete with... Wall, Beal, Porter, and Jordan. I like that team. That, but they still don't. Fit. Their bench is the issue. They've made terrible signings that don't help that bench. I think if Kelly Oubre can develop, um, well, he has developed. I he, mean, he's he is. taking yeah, he's huge doing, strides. He's only twenty-two. I mean, the kid's really young. Like, he's still on his rookie contract. Yeah, so he's he's really cheap. I think if he can continue to develop, if they can develop Sadoransky, like Sadoransky's really, nasty. I like man. that guy. He looks good. Like he just, he passes that eye test. He does. Um, like he doesn't really do anything crazy for me on stats, but 
when you watch him play, you're like, I like that guy. He's moving nice. He glides. John Wall, like we already said, he's he's still with some injury issues, and he is currently injured for the next like at least six weeks uh, for the Wizards. So now is the time for Tatransky, for Kelly Oubre, for some of these other Wizards players to step up and kind of showcase if they can help propel this team to the playoffs. So they're on a little bit of a win streak right now. Um, they've won five straight, and they're playing the Sixers tonight. So we'll see if that streak stands come tomorrow morning. But they've been playing well without John Wall, and that's partly because they're utilizing some of these young guys that we've talked about and some of these bench players really bringing out some of their best play. I guess hopefully they can continue winning without John Wall over the next six weeks. Hopefully these young bench guys, not necessarily young, but hopefully these bench guys continue to step up and hopefully they can keep stepping up once John Wall returns towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. And I think one of the things that they've been doing differently since John Wall's been out is they've been moving the ball a lot. Been passing. They've been moving. It's just the offense is moving. And I hope that when John Wall comes back, I hope he's watching now and is saying, wow, this is this is the team I could play with if I stopped holding onto the ball and started moving a little bit. Because John Wall's incredible. But he like, if he can help that offense in terms – don't let them rely so much on you. You know, let them – let everybody else kind of figure it out with you. I mean, he's a point uh, guard. If he can facilitate, if he can make the players around him better. Yeah, I think I think that could make a huge difference. And it could validate his $47 million cap hit in 2022-23. <laughs> but, yeah, I think – because there's been a lot of talk of people saying, "Oh, you need." It's kind of like the McCollum Lillard thing, where people are saying you need to pick, you need to pick somebody, and everybody's saying pick the younger guy. And maybe that, maybe there's some sense in that you remove a ball, like some a primary ball handler, somebody else who needs the ball in between Beal and Wall. Yeah, and, and maybe there's some sense to that, but I think they can. I don't think that's the issue. Just like for, for the Blazers, I don't think that's their issue either. I think you need to focus on what you put around Wall and Beal. I mean, you're not getting much from Porter. I guess you're getting what you expected, but you're paying him $24 million this year, and he's not giving you that kind of production. You're paying him more than John Wall this year because John Wall's extension doesn't click in until 2019-20. So I think it's I think Bradley Beal and John Wall are not the issue, and for this team to succeed, they need to make some better moves around that team. And they need to develop some people and stop trading their first-round pick away. Well, again, that gets us back to this, this trade deadline in two days. The Wizards have firmly stated that they want to hold on to this year's first-round pick. Mm-hmm. They've traded away their first-round pick for three straight years, all for expiring contract players, all for, not all, they traded for Markeith Morris with the first-round pick three years ago, I believe, but he's still on the team. But <laughs> regardless, there's kind of some battling, I'm sure, within the Wizards organization of do we get better now mm-hmm. or do we keep this pick and just try to keep moving forward and learn from previous mistakes. Yeah, uh, It'll be exciting to see. Either way, obviously, you got to root for the Wizards. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I do think... Like the East is so wide open, it's so tempting to to want to push some chips in, because this starting five is excellent. I mean, they play, they're like their ratings and their like how they how they rate across the league is excellent with that starting five. That's when you put somebody else in the bench. Yeah. So if they can make a trade that maybe deepens their bench, or they get a star back and they're willing to sign that star, I think, it's, big, I think it's a good move. Despite the East being open, though, there is still a giant, huge, looming shadow of the Golden State Warriors um, kind of hovering above the entire league. For sure. Um, even if you get out of the East, is it worth getting out of the East just to get crushed by the Warriors? I don't know. You never know what's going to happen, though. You, in, in the sense of, I mean, if the Warriors are full strength, it doesn't matter who's going out <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. But you never... Steph Curry could twist an ankle. Draymond Green could get suspended. Punch them in the nuts again. <laughs> I mean, uh, you never know. Like, Clay Thompson, he could... You, you don't hope for any of these things, but somebody could get hurt. 
and that changes the whole dynamic of those teams. That The Warriors are such a deep team that it might not matter, but if one or two of their stars happen to go down, it changes things. And yeah. But yeah, if they're at full strength, it doesn't matter who the hell comes out of the East. They're winning. They're going to win. <laughs> uh, one of the last teams that we cannot go through this podcast and this trade and line conversation without mentioning is the Lakers. Oh, you just got tampered. You can't mention anything <laughs> on this podcast. I mean, you're going to get a little fine here. Shout out we're gonna to Magic. We're going to get $5 to equal, you know, what the Lakers, $50,000. Probably 50 cents, actually. Actually, probably a nickel to equal what the $50,000 is to them. You don't got a nickel. Yeah. Don't pull that shit on me. You can get changed at the 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think they have a lot of people that are on the block that we haven't even talked about. They have Jordan Clarkson, who signed for a couple of years, so maybe they maybe they keep him. But if they want to trade, if they the Lakers want to go in the direction of, we're going to clear cap space because we want to try and sign X free agent, whether it's Paul George, LeBron James, who they say they aren't going after, or any other player that's out there. Clarkson's one of the people that have to move. They have Luol Deng on a three-year contract that I could see them buying out, and maybe he signs with somebody. They can't buy out Luol Deng. His contract's too high. <laughs> He's got a lot of years. He's a three. This is a terrible contract. He has three years left. Last time they got rid of somebody like that, they had to trade D'Angelo Russell away. So they signed Weldon <laughs> and um, Mozgov, who's now on the Nets, on, on the Nets, um, in part with that D'Angelo Russell trade. Um, they signed them in 2016, right when free agency opened. Um, they signed them both to two huge contracts, and they had to give up a lot to get rid of Mozgov. And they've been trying to get rid of Weldon since they got rid of Mozgov, but they've had no success because his salary cap hit is so high. He's owed $17 million this season, $18 million next season, $18 million the after that. And he's basically a player that rarely sees the floor for, for the Lakers. Well, they decided not to play him and just are going from there. Luke Walton <laughs> basically had a conversation with Luol Dang and said, that, like, we're not going to play you. They want to play their we're, young guys. They, they want to play the young guys. On their, on it's their not young an indictment of Luol Dang and his potential and his ability. He's definitely not worth $18 million. But he's still somebody who can contribute, and if he can somehow get out of get out of Los Angeles, I'm sure he's not willing to waive much of his $54 million that's still guaranteed. But if he's willing to do, if, if they're willing to find some sort of compromise, he can still make a difference. You know, Maybe it is, it's next year. It but. is interesting that the the Lakers have have been so well known over the course of the season to be talking about wanting to dump salaries, wanting to create cap space, but there haven't been many many reports or conversations about them talking to any teams really like i'm mm-hmm. sure they're they're talking to every team around the league trying to make some deals happen mm-hmm. but i don't know i just i the lakers they still seem so dysfunctional i think i would assume that a lot of front offices around the league don't necessarily like dealing with the lakers front office just because it's the Lakers show and i don't know i i'm interested to see if they can pull it together i think basketball is better when the lakers are good when Absolutely. they're performing well when they're in the playoffs but they have very little direction right now, and they have no like definitive place to kind of channel their energy into. For sure. Uh, I think they should just keep rebuilding with their young core. I think they shouldn't trade away too many of their assets. Jordan Clarkson's a great player. Julius Randle's been playing really well this season. Awesome. Um, and they're both under contract. Julius Randle's an ex- a restricted yeah. expiring. Oh, Julius Randle's just... Okay. And so. he's somebody that... They've been adamant about trading, like not keeping him after this year. But he's been so playing I, so well. He's been awesome. And like I, if I were Luke Walton, I'd be so pissed. But I can see them. I've heard them potentially moving into the Mavericks. Awesome trade for the Mavericks. I think he'd be great on so many teams. He'd be great. That'd be a great pick for the Cavs. If the Cavs could trade their first round pick and a little bit of salary. Well, and I mean, Randall's proven himself to be a solid all around player. He's great. Um, he's good offensively. He's good defensively. He's still young. 
Again, this expiring contract that he's currently on is the end of his rookie deal when the Lakers drafted him four years ago. Mm. So, I mean, he's definitely valuable. And I guess at this point, you'd assume that he's not going to come back to the Lakers. Mm -hmm. I know I said that I have hopes that they might keep him around. I think they should. But but I don't think they're going to. They're not going to pay him money above bringing in a big-name free agent. Yeah. I mean, Um, I do think it's worthwhile for them to hold off and see what the offseason brings because I think he'd be easy to move. He'd be easy to do a sign-and-trade with. Yeah. Um, so it might make sense to keep him and flip him for assets if they're able to sign somebody who they need that ca- salary cap space for. But otherwise, I think it's worth keeping him. I, he's a great player. I don't think he's a he's a max contract, but I'd rather have him than Otto Porter. I mean, that's, that's fair. Otto Porter, but I mean, contract wise, obviously yes. That's um, a huge cap hit. But yeah, and I, I I still do think, um, and there's been a lot of chatter about this that Brook Lopez is um, definitely going to be bought out here and. He could be he could be a lot of fun on a couple different teams. I mean, maybe the Pelicans go after him for the year and just use him as a placeholder for Demarcus. I mean, he can't do all of what Demarcus does or did this season, but he is one of the closest comps to Demarcus Cousins. I would say yeah, he shoots threes. Um, he shoots threes. He's good in the post. Yeah. Um, he can not really handle the ball, but if he has the ball um, yeah, at the at the like free throw line, he can drive into the paint and make sure. some moves and throw a little floater up. Yeah, defensively um, he's lacking, but you have Davis back there with him. I'd, I'd be interested to see if maybe they go after him, but man, he is one of the slowest players I've seen in the league. He's hard to watch. <laughs> His shot's even slow, too. He only puts up a ball to... But he's hitting get, threes. He he's, like It's crazy, because when he came into the league, he couldn't do any of that shit. Now he's just like, he's spotting up hitting threes. It's great. So, last thing tonight, we want to do a quick Wednesday night preview for the games that will be occurring tomorrow evening. We kind of want to make this a staple on the podcast moving forward. We kind of want to talk about these like marquee Wednesday games. Wednesday has seemed to be one of the better nights for the NBA throughout the season so far. Best games end up playing on Wednesday night. Uh, there's always a lot of games, and uh, they're just fun to talk about. It's going to be rapid fire. It's going to be quick. Um, so, Darcy, first game, Brooklyn Nets for Detroit Pistons. What do you think is going to happen? Who you got? I'm going with the Pistons. They're home. They're on a, on a, ro- a roll right now. They won four straight. I'm going to make it five straight here, and I think Blake's going to keep it going. Next game up, we got the Rockets at the Miami Heat. Josh, who you got? So the Miami Heat are super fun. Uh, similar to last year, they're an underdog. They've been outperforming all their expectations, but the Rockets are the Rockets. The Rockets are loaded, and I don't think you can ever pick against them on a given night. So I've got the Rockets. Cool. Darcy, Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. What do you think is going to happen? Oof. Both <laughs> these are... I mean, the Timberwolves have lost four of their past seven. Yeah, when we all know about the Cavs here. You know, I'm going to take the Wolves, knowing that the Cavs are probably making a couple of trades, or ex- I'm expecting them to make some sort of trade, and they're probably going to sit some people out. So I'm going to take the Wolves. What do you think of the Pacers at the Pelicans? I have to say the Pacers here. Pacers are super fun, and I'm biased because I love watching them. I don't think the Pelicans are going to be able to integrate Miritich fully into their lineup yet, and they have been slumping, and I don't expect that drop to stop at this moment in time. So got to go with the Pacers over the Pelicans. Next game, Utah Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Darcy, who you got? I'm going with the Jazz here. They're on a six-game winning streak. I think they're on a roll here, and the Grizzlies have dropped five of their last seven. I think Iso Joe and Ricky Rubio are going to come out firing, and they're going to take this one. Uh, what do you think of last game of the night here? What do you think of the Spurs at the Phoenix Suns? Phoenix Suns are super fun. They're a fun young team to watch, but I don't think you can ever really pick a young developing team like the Suns over a solidified powerhouse like the Spurs. Um, you got to go Spurs here. Uh, I, I assume they'll pull it out, and I'd be surprised if they don't. 
All right, well, I think that wraps it up. We will be recording every Tuesday night, releasing our podcast Wednesday mornings. So tune in next week and moving forward as well. Thanks for tuning in. And again, we are the last guys off the bench. Peace out. Mm.